The Gym Day Podcast is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Gym Day Podcast. All right, welcome into another edition of the Gym Day Podcast presented by Kroger. 30 years ago, what a magical time it was in Cincinnati as the Reds went wire to wire and then ended up sweeping the Oakland A's in the World Series. Uh, It was a great year if you're a Reds fan. And this guy was a rookie that season, and what a rookie season he had. He is Hal Morris. Hal, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for uh, having me, Jim. Hope all is well. All is well uh, with me. How about yourself? Uh, you were in the Chicago area, right? Yeah, yeah. I live just north of Chicago, and I, you know, I was just saying it's a it's a beautiful day, and uh, uh, the summer is finally upon us. So, uh, uh, listen, nothing to complain about. Before we look back, what uh, right now? I know you were involved in the the game uh, on on a scouting level, and then in the the uh, front office of baseball with the Angels. What are you doing with yourself now? So uh, I left the Angels at the end of 2016 to go work for a uh, San Francisco-based fund. And what we do, we we make equity investments in professional athletes. Fund, we're, we're investing in Major League Baseball players and, and NFL players. So I, I help uh, evaluate the players, and then, and then once we uh, uh, form a partnership with the players, then, then – then, uh, uh, I'm a resource for them, so I, so I'm probably working more closely with players now than I did when I was when I was working uh, for the Angels. Um, so it's great. So I'm 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 I got my pulse on the finger of the game, and and uh, it really it keeps me in tune to what's going on uh, in baseball. So I love it. Well, you have certainly upped the IQ level of this show because I need all the balancing <laughs> that I can get. After you retired from baseball, uh, you went on to get your Bachelor of Science in Biology at Michigan, your alma mater, correct? And then a MBA from Stanford. Yes, I did. I did. You know, it's uh, when I, when I uh, uh, went to sign my junior year of Michigan. Um, I promised my mom that I would go back and uh, finish up my my schoolwork. So uh, when I retired, you know, one of the first calls I got was from her. She said, "Okay, I assume you're going back to school now." Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I said, "Yep." I, you know, she held me to it, and, and uh, I went back and I and I finished my undergrad work, and then I ended up, you know, I said, "Shoot, I don't I don't want to get a real job yet, so why don't I go back to school again?" Um, so uh, anyhow, I went to business school after that. Wow, but was the Bachelor of Science in Biology? Yes, it was. Yeah, wow. originally, my my father is a pediatrician, mm-hmm. and uh, I had wanted to go to medical school in orthopedics, sports medicine, you know. Uh, and I actually I was a walk on in Michigan, so I kind of stumbled onto to to my uh, baseball career. Uh, and what happened was I, I had a, a bunch of labs that I needed to take for my to, to complete my degree. And during the baseball season, you know, you, there, you don't just don't have the time to to be taking ten hours a week in, in an organic chemistry lab. So so anyhow, uh, after my junior year, I told my dad, I said, I, I can't do both. I can't play baseball and I can't try to go to school. Um, I just don't have the time to do it. And we said, uh, shoot, uh, I'll I'll I was drafted by the Yankees. I said, I'll sign. It'll be a fun summer job and we'll see what comes of it. Well, I was fortunate and played 16 years, you know, so. And what a career you had. Uh, so a walk on at Michigan this after what Munster High School, Munster, Indiana, where you not only played baseball, basketball, but w- is it true you were all-conference tennis player four times? Yeah, so so uh, uh, I, I had I had uh, you know back then this was this was before the the, the uh, advent of, of any technology whatsoever. You know, this is we, we had Atari Pong, I think. You know, yeah. but this is this was pre computers and pre video games. So we played everything in the neighborhood. We we played football basketball we played hockey if it was cold enough we'd freeze our backyards um but so i played everything i swam too um but but yes uh uh, i i uh played tennis uh my dad was uh, enjoyed playing tennis we played a lot of tennis growing up and we had a good 
uh, tennis team in Munster. We were one of the top five teams in the state every year. Um, so uh, what I would do, uh, I, I played football up until the eighth grade, but I broke my arm playing football in, my eighth, in, in eighth grade. And my dad said, you know, I don't know if you want to play football because if you hurt your knees, it might affect your baseball playing. So so I quit playing football and I and I and I just I, I played tennis on the tennis team. But uh, I would play baseball and I'd roll out there and uh, and then play tennis. So it was it was a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, Jim, I'll tell you, who's a, who's a great tennis player is Paul O'Neill. Paul, when we when we were in Cincinnati, Paul used to beat most of the teaching pros in town. That's how good. Really? That's oh, yes. Yeah, He's one of the Paul, best athletes I've ever come across. But listen, Paul is an unbelievable athlete. We would play basketball games in the winter. I honestly believe Paul could have played in, in the NBA. When I saw him yeah. out there playing, you know, Paul's he's six five, six five and a half. Yeah, the, no doubt in my mind, he could have been played, been a been a guard in the NBA. But but yeah, he, Paul and Jim Courier were good friends, and uh, you know, Paul you know would go bang balls with him. But Paul was a phenomenal tennis player. Yeah, he. Um, I'm a Columbus guy. He's he grew up grew up in Columbus, Brookhaven High School. Um, so I actually saw him play basketball. Um, man, I mean, you want to talk about an athlete. He can hit the golf ball a country mile. Uh, yep. Just an unbelievable athlete. But I'm I'm one of those proponents. I, I played a bunch of sports growing up as well, and I, I grew up in we're roughly the same age where we would literally go from sun up till sundown, uh, and even sundown doing doing stuff, uh, even creating games. Uh, I think it makes you a better athlete. I'm a proponent of not specializing in one sport. You see that a lot nowadays. Would you be the same proponent? I, I, I agree with you completely, Jim. And actually, so when I was uh, – I scouted for eight years. I, I, I did amateur work for the Pirates for two years, and then I was hired to work for the Red Sox by, by Allard Baird. This was Theo Epstein's last year in Boston. You know, Theo Epstein was there and, and – uh, oh. Uh, uh, Mike Hazen and Ben Ben uh, oh, uh, oh I can't think of his name right now the, the the GM in Pittsburgh right now it'll come to me um, but we the front office was loaded uh, and then and then then I went over to to, to, uh, to to Anaheim but every step along the way in Pittsburgh in Boston and in Anaheim we we prioritized multi-sport athletes in, when we were looking at amateur players because the thought was that that they had, there was a much broader palette on which to paint you know yeah. that 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 the guys that specialized uh that that uh they they, they wouldn't de- they wouldn't develop as well as the guys that had not and it was thought that playing other sports basketball what what you name it uh would would uh really help enhance their overall athleticism i couldn't agree with you more um university of michigan well you guys won two big 10 championships i mean you look at there's not many college teams that have several major leaguers on it um, and major leaguer, you know, guys that you would immediately uh, notice their name. Uh, not only yourself, Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo, Jim Abbott, Scott Kamenicki, to name a few. Uh, yes. That's quite the collection of talent. Went to the College World Series in 84, I believe. What was the college days like? Well, uh, you know, uh, as I said, I walked on. The story I uh, tell people is that uh, my dad and I didn't know anything about uh, college baseball. We just knew that Michigan was really good. They had they had uh, played in the College World Series World Series a year before, and they finished third, as I recall. Um, so so we loved we loved the, the University of Michigan, the school. So we drove up there to to see uh, um, you know to watch them practice the fall of my senior year in high school, and uh, you know we're watching these guys. Uh, drill they're 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 taking infield and they're doing infield drills and we were sitting right be behind the third base dugout and i turned to my dad and i said dad i said shoot these guys in the big 10 are pretty darn good i said i said i don't know if i can play in this league i said these guys are tough well i was sitting there watching chris sable and barry larkin <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and 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 lark when you to, to, to watch lark as an 18 year old was nothing like nothing else i've ever uh, experience. He was so quick, and he was his athleticism was was just unlike anything that I ever saw before that. Um, so anyhow, I got up there, and uh, the the team was loaded. You know, it, I think over the the guys that I played with, we had seven guys play in the big leagues. We had another twelve or thirteen play in Triple A. Um, so so uh, it was a great experience because first of all, these guys were killers. Uh, you know, Lark Lark had played at Moeller. 
Lark had played for, for Joe Hayden at Midland. And everyone knows about the Midland baseball program. Right. And, and frankly, half of our team at Michigan came from, from Midland because our coach, Bud Middaw, he had been the coach of Miami of Ohio. And he, Bud had close relationships with, with, with Joe Hayden and the people in that area. And these guys, they were they expected to go to the Connie Mack World Series every year and to win. So the, when I got up there, all of a sudden, it, it wasn't, you know, we weren't happy. These guys were not happy when they expected to win. And that really kind of reshaped the way I, I uh, approached approached playing, frankly, and, and it impacted me for the rest of my career. But I had fantastic coaching. Bud Midon, our assistant coach, was Danny Hall, who later went to Kent State and has been now been the head coach at Georgia Tech for, for decades and has pumped out a ton of all-stars. He's a phenomenal coach. But we had this great talent, and uh, the, the best competition I would face until we got to the regionals every year was our inter-squad games. So, oh, I it really, so I had the opportunity. I had great coaching. Uh, these really great teammates who were who were hyper competitive uh, and were winners and tough. You know, listen, uh, the stories that Barry used to tell about playing basketball in the backyard with with his brothers, with with Michael and Byron, are legendary. You know, I mean, these guys were tough, um, and uh, it was a, just a great experience. Well, when you're that successful of a team and you're playing Northern baseball. Uh, most of the successful college teams in baseball are from the southern hemisphere or southern part of the country, I should say. But how many times do you have to clear off snow from the field? Well, uh, <laughs> we, listen, I, I distinctly remember a series we played against Indiana up in Ann Arbor where we were playing in the snow. It was snowing while we were playing. And uh, my wife, to, to, to this day, you know, we'll go outside in the cold weather and I just will have a light wrap on or, or, or I won't have a jacket. So I don't, I don't see how you – you know, handle all this cold weather, you know, like you're immune to it. I said, listen, ever since I played up there in Ann Arbor, uh, out there in sanitary socks and spikes, nothing will ever compare to that. So (laughs) this feels like it's warm, you know. (laughs) Drafted by the Yankees, eighth round, then traded to the Reds, December 12th, 1989. Um, What was it like showing up in spring training with uh, some guy named Lou Piniella as the skipper? Well, it's it's funny, you know. Even though I had I had played played with Barry, I'd lived with Barry in Ann Arbor. Um, you know, uh, you guys after, were roommates. We, we lived in the house together. Oh yeah, wow! We 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 we, 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 we uh, my um, junior year after Barry had signed with the Reds, he came back and he went to school that fall, and we had a house eight eighteen Oakland was was our address, and uh, we had. Um, I think eight guys living in the house, including Casey Close, who's now one of the biggest agents in baseball. Another um, Columbus guy. Another, yeah, Worthington, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, the guys in that house. What they've gone on to do, it's pretty extraordinary. But wow. But, um, but yeah. So so I had, even though I had lived with Lark, um, you know, knew him well. I didn't know a lot about the Reds. It was funny. You know, my recollection of Cincinnati, it was I just hated the Reds because I grew up here right outside of Chicago. And in the 70s, the teams you hated were the Reds and the Phillies, especially the Reds, because they would come in and they would just wear the Cubs out. You know, <laughs> I mean, those th- th- those teams came into Chicago and they they, they like they, they they ransacked and loot. You know, they just just tore the town. Up, yeah. You know, and. Uh, but, but, but anyway, they wear those cubs out, but, but anyway, um, getting down there, um, uh, I, I remember, um, uh, it was a very young team, you know, we, we, we were, we were, um, most of us, uh, were in our, uh, mid twenties, you know, and, and, uh, it was very youthful. I remember that there was a lot of energy in that clubhouse, um, and, um, I'll never forget the first day there, you know, uh, Lou called us all together and said, Hey fellas, you know, you've, you've, you've been very successful. You know, uh, you've been coming second place several times in the last couple of years. Uh, so the talent is in the clubhouse, but, but, but now is the time for us to win, you know, and I just, I will accept nothing short of that with the abilities in here. Let's go. And that was the messaging from day one. And we had an abbreviated spring training, uh, because of, uh, the, there was a lockout of 90. So we were, we were really energized to get ready because we didn't have six weeks to kind of ease into it. Right. So from day one, so from, from day one, we were very, very focused. 
All right. I, I'm sorry to backtrack, but I can't let this go. You've got all these guys in one house in college. Yep. You can just pretend like it's just you and me and no one else is listening. How? What kind of parties did you have in the house? Well, listen, I, so, so, so I will, so, so we had that year, Ohio State was playing in Ann Arbor. And, uh, and we had a party the night before the Ohio State football game. And, it was, I think, the biggest party I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so, and uh, believe it or not, I think we had like 10 guys from Ohio State. That the, their, their football team were at that party. Um, so, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it was, it was, uh, that was a memorable, uh, that, that was a memorable event. What year was uh, that? That was 1986. 86. That would be Earl Bruce coach team. May he rest this, in peace. Earl, this, if you're somehow listening, sorry, your dudes were at the party. This would, <laughs> this would have been in 85, but this was, this is, I, I, it was the uh, 85, 86 school year. So the game was played in 85 in November yeah. of 85. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was something else, boy. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. Now there's so many things you can talk about, about this 1990 Reds team. I mean, literally, there's there's been, you know, documentaries done. There's been books written. Um, but one of the, the your your guys' song, I mean, beyond the, the rap that was done, but Can't Touch This, yes. MC Hammer. Now, yeah. tell me if this is true. You were a rookie, and sometimes rookies have to decide on music, right? Or d- did you come up with Can't Touch no. This as a song? No, no, that's not that's not what. Happened. Where did that myth come uh, from? I'm I'm relatively certain that Randy that Randy Myers uh, uh, was was one of the guys involved with with uh, putting that song on early in the year. I'm not. I think it was Randy. I'm not sure. After we won a game, uh, it, it, it might have been the first. It might have been the first game of the year. Someone popped that into the CD player. Okay, so uh, after that. Those got Randy and some. It might have been Randy and Norm. It might have been those three guys. They told me they because again I was a rookie. My job was. Um, they said, "Hey, listen. When we walk into the clubhouse after we win a game, this better be on the." the okay, that's be. where you were involved. All right, that's I, I was. Knew you were involved. involved somehow. Yes, that's so. They, they're like this better be on the. So so like when we went on the road, <laughs> we went at home. Whatever home road. If they walked in there and that wasn't on, like I was, I was scurrying, I was hiding somewhere, you know, because uh, I didn't, you know, as a rookie, you know, your clothing would disappear and there would be outfits that they would put in oh, your yeah. locker. You'd have to wear, you know, the drill. And uh, anyhow, yeah. So that was, it was my job, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't select that music. So uh, some of these celebrations after a win, and then when you got music, music accompaniment. Um, yes, yes. What were the celebrations like? Each night, well, or day. Well, every every uh, every night, um, uh, Joel Peeper would be, who was our traveling secretary, would come into the clubhouse, and Luis uh, Quinones would do a dance in front of Joel, and <laughs> and uh, I don't think he was fully clothed most of the time. <laughs> so 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 uh that was so everyone in the clubhouse would kind of gather to watch that and and uh you know the bernie and all you know all the guys in the clubhouse who got a, a, a chuckle out of that and, and 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 poor joel was a good sport about it uh throughout the course of that year wow there's nothing that develops team chemistry more than winning and camaraderie and then when yes. you got that um it's almost like you uh you want to win the game, obviously, but you want to win the game as well, to, so we can go in there and do our celebration. I mean, it seems to all be in one, one big bag of goodness. Yeah, exactly, and and Lou Lou was always a good sport about it. You know, uh, Lou, Lou let us do our thing. So Lou wasn't in there dancing. Uh, Lou Lou was typically uh, on his way to his office or in his office. You know, uh, just starting to unwind a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> how, <laughs> I got you. How many? Uh, how many times are you asked? Hey, hey, tell me a Lou Pinella story. What was? Was he crazy? What, what, what was he like? Uh, listen, uh, for, for 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 the older folks, you know, and, uh, often, you know, that that uh, especially the 
anyone that kind of followed that team or, or was a Yankee fan, they would they would they, they'd like to to know a little bit more about Lou. So, uh, and I, I say, listen, it's all true. Whatever you whatever your perception is of Lou, it, it, he was much more of a character than you probably can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he uh, boy, he wanted to win. He had a personality like like the aforementioned Paul O'Neill. Uh, ultra competitive. Um, wow. I, I just, some of the stories that, uh, are told is, were you in the dugout when he tried to kick his hat and went tumbling? Yes, I was, I was in the dugout and that was, that was hilarious. You know, he, 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 um, had, you know, he, he gave, as I recall, he, he wanted Paul to bunt. Okay. And, and, the, 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 you know, my observation about bunting is this: you all the first the first thing you got to to think about when you're giving someone the bunt is can they bunt? You know, and the problem with a lot of big leaguers is they've hit third or fourth on a team yeah. their entire their entire life, right? So they just they just haven't practiced it a whole lot, and you know, like I said, Paul Paul very rarely was called on upon to bunt for a good reason because he was such a great hitter, uh, and and uh, I think it was a lefty, and, and Paul didn't get the bunt down, and. In in a, in a, uh, a, a, a you know in, in, in out of frustration, Lou went to kick the ground. Now, in back then we had we had these wooden slats that ran across the dugout uh, so that your spikes could get a grip. They sat on top of the the, the cement floor of the dugout. Unless it was and, wet. <laughs> unless it was wet, and and on this particular day it was wet, and, and Lou was not wearing spikes; he was wearing turfs, and he kicks that, and his feet come out from under him. He he gets he gets vertical. And uh, or I should say, he gets he gets horizontal, literally, and then just slams down on his bat, and and he gets up, and and, and all we, we every to a man, the second he looked down the end of looked down that dugout, we all looked straight ahead, and because we we to to kind of uh, uh, to, to to not make eye contact with him, and and he looks us and 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 and, 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 and you know. Uh, in a little colorful language, he said, "Yeah, I know that was funny, you guys. Go ahead and laugh." You know, he said, <laughs> "That was bleeping us, funny. Go ahead and laugh." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, well, he said, "I know you, SOBs, essentially. I know that was funny. You go, you could laugh now. You can laugh." And it, and literally, there was this collective. We all fell off the bench laughing, and and uh, <laughs> it was, uh, oh my goodness, it was hilarious. Did you ever get into it with him? Or, oh yes, yeah. I, the, the thing although you about, hit three forty, what in nineteen ninety? So he was probably pretty happy with you. But. Uh, yeah, you know the, the uh, uh, oh, uh, we were playing in San Diego one day, and I'm on first. They give me the hit and run. I I I, I uh, uh, get thrown out by a mile. So uh, back then, the the in Jack Ripper Stadium, the the, the the dugouts were were at the at the field level. So I'm running back. I turn. I, I get thrown out. I, I, I turn to my left. We are, our, our dugout's in the third baseline, and I'm running back to the dugout. And by now, Lewis, they, they had a little white line that demarked the the dugout from the playing field. He's now he's now five feet past that white line, you know, and he's it, right and squarely in my direction. So I said, "Here we go," you know. So anyway, as I'm as I'm as I'm getting back in there. And again, in, 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 in a little more colorful language, he said, what are you doing running right there? What in what like what in God's name are you thinking about running right there? And I just I said, Lou, you know, and I and again, in, in more colorful language, I said, I said, Sammy, about Sammy Palazzo, Sammy just gave me the hit and run. And and all of a sudden he, he, he just he's quiet for about five seconds. Then he turns and he starts screaming at Sammy Perlazzo. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so lose, lose on the, you know, uh, for about the next two or three minutes, he's yelling at Sammy. Okay. So Sammy comes running in and the same thing happens. Lou's out there waiting for Sammy. And, and as I'm running out there to first base, the Sammy says, Jackie gave me the hit and run. He points at Jackie Moore, our bench coach. And, and uh, then I turn around and, and, and there's Lou starting to yell at Jackie. So, uh, <laughs> Anyhow, I, 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 I get out to first base and Sandy LMR seniors out there and, and he said, what, what is Lou yelling at you about? And I said, Oh, he, they gave him the hit and run. And, you know, so anyhow, so he started laughing. He had played with Lou. He's, he went on to tell me a couple of stories about Lou with the Yankees. And we sat out there and laughed about it. But, uh, um, again, the, the, the great thing about Lou 
was he's so competitive and he was he was always you know he, he put everything in his uh being into winning that particular game that, that, that and you know, i think as we all did that that you know, we, we, we would we would go at it, and then you walk in there after the game, and it was like it never happened. So um, it, it was it, it, it made for for uh, a lot of uh, excitement and uh, a, a lot of memorable days for sure. All right, we will continue our conversation with Hal Morris after these messages from our friends from Kroger. To our Kroger associates. For the long hours and late nights, for the miles traveled and the shelves restocked, for making a difference in our customers' lives, for doing so much more than your job. Everyone at the Kroger family of brands and our customers say thank you. In a time when daily life feels a bit uncertain, your hard work is keeping America fed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Reds fans, our hometown heroes continue to step up during this difficult time and have inspired Hershey to keep the good going. That's why we're donating one million meals to Feeding America. You can show your support by finding your favorites like Hershey's Kisses, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and Twizzlers on the shelves at Kroger. Or go to feedingamerica.org to learn more and donate. Reds fans and Hershey's, Feeding America. Thanks for your support. Well, I mentioned you hit 340 in 1990 as a rookie. At the time, that was the third highest by a rookie in 50 years. Uh, Throughout your major league career, career 304 hitter. Um, And you did this while famously shuffling your feet while the pitcher is delivering the ball, shuffling your feet forward. How in the world did you pull this off? It's all about hitting's timing. So how did you do this? Well, it's the funny thing is, Jim. You know, I, I never, I'd never moved my feet until I got into pro ball. I was, I was pretty still um, at the plate. Um, but, but when I actually Lou came and worked with me in AAA, and he he wanted me to start moving my feet to to, to get the feeling of weight shift and rhythm, and and uh, for whatever reason, it kind of morphed into into more movement. You know, and the the the, the other thing was that that Don Mattingly told me when I was. Uh, I played parts of two years with the Yankees before I was traded to Cincinnati. Uh, Don said, "Hey, Hal, listen." He said, "If if you want the ball away, get off, get get way off the plate, you know, because the pitcher is going to think you're looking in, but the, so they're going to go away." But he said, "If you want the ball in, get on top of the plate, you know, because he said they think they're going to think that you're looking away, but until they're going to kind of come come in on you." So that's what I used to do when I wanted to put someone to pitch me in. I would get on top of the plate when I wanted the ball away. I would get off the plate. So I, I kind of learned that I could back off the plate in certain circumstances. And frankly, this is like what I did against Greg Maddox for the first three or three or four years of my career. and was pretty successful against him. Then he would throw me the change-ups away, but then I would dive into the plate. So so some of it, you know, again, it kind of morphed into me moving around more so. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, I was never aware I was doing it, to be honest, after a while. Really? So Lou yeah. is the one that told you to shuffle your feet. That is interesting. Yep, Lou, 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 Lou wanted to teach me how to to, to uh, shift my weight, and and in, in doing that, I started moving my feet more so, and uh, kind of using his rhythm. You know, a lot of times, like if you watch Ryan Sandberg hit, he was kind of rocking on his feet. You right. know, now now his feet didn't move off the ground like mine did, but there a lot of guys kind of or they they get a little rhythm doing that. Uh, not not as pronounced as what I what I used to do, but but uh, uh, you do see some guys who use that as a as a timing mechanism. How confident were you guys going into the playoffs? Um, because it's been well documented that no one gave you guys a chance, particularly against the Pirates to start. Um, Ed Bonds, Bonilla, Van Slyke, Dre Beck, uh, Leland was the manager. They would won 95 games that year. You guys won 91. Uh, but you guys got off to a great start and then played kind of 500 baseball at one point from the All-Star break on, so... They didn't give you much of a chance. How did you guys? Were you hearing some of that, or were you like, "Hey, we're going to prove them wrong"? You know, I, I think that we were confident. Our, our, you know, internally we were confident. Uh, I, I think, I, I think, uh, outside of of, uh, of of our, you know, uh, of, of the ball club, and, and maybe outside of Cincinnati, uh, you know, externally, people didn't necessarily know a lot about us, and and uh, I think the national media. Um, you know, uh, again, uh, 
favored other clubs. Um, in, in, in retrospect, the, the, the way looking back at that team, uh, the, the way players are evaluated today, uh, we would have had garnered much more respect than we did back then uh, because now there, there are better methods for measuring defense. We had a fantastic defensive team. Yeah. Paul, Paul O'Neill is a gold glove right fielder. Eric Davis, Barry Larkin saves was a great third baseman. Um, we, we, it, we had team speed. We, 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 we had contact hitters. And the other thing that correlates really highly to winning playoff games or the, the strikeouts in your, you know, in your bullpen. And boy, did we have that. And we also had, we had these great, we had some great starting pitchers. So we were, we were confident, I think internally. And the other thing is we were young and brash, you know, and, and, and we, we weren't, we weren't, uh, you know, uh, intimidated by anyone. And to, to my point about, uh, I was making earlier about the, the, you know, playing with Barry in Michigan, Barry expected, you know, this guy was a killer. You know, he, 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 if, you know, if you watch that Michael Jordan documentary about Jordan and, and his kind of how his attitude about winning, that was, that was Barry. Barry was just quiet, you know, about, but, but that, that was his attitude. Eric, you know, I'll never forget going into the playoffs and then, the, and, and then the World Series. Uh, I tell people all the time, you know, their pulse, it, it, it's, it, it got slower. You know, these guys, I'll never forget watching just because I was on the on deck circle watching Eric or in the dugout watching Mark. These guys, their, their, their pulse was like 50 beats per minute, you know, in these playoff games. They were very relaxed. They, they were very confident. Yeah, I, I agree with you. In today's metric world, uh, you would be much more thought of. Although I still read some of these stories that they look back like 30 years ago, the the Reds, the ultimate underdogs, uh, beat the A's, the unbeatable A's. And I'm like, are you looking at, at who was on this 1990 team? Sure, it was a surprise then, but now, I mean, are you looking at it? So they're, they're kind of just glancing and doing a story, which drives me nuts. That's, that's a whole nother podcast, I guess. But you, uh, let's see, you hit 417 in the NLCS. Goodness gracious. Um, and then in the World Series, was it tougher to beat the Pirates than it was to beat the A's? Uh, you know what? I, I, I think it was. You know, and uh, again, you go, you look back at that at that Pittsburgh team, and they were they were pretty darn good. You know, uh, of course, Bonds was a was an extraordinary player. Um, Van Slyke was a was Van Slyke was a was a player that. You know, uh, he, he he would have been much more highly regarded in these in, in today's the game. You know, uh, he played great defense. You know, center he was a great player. And you know, Bonilla, R.J. Reynolds, uh, Jeff King, and 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, Jay Bell. They they had a great team. Um, you know, I, I I don't think their pitching was as as good as Oakland, but I, but I actually think that their lineup was was just as good as is 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 Oakland's and their 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 defense you know uh was probably better let's see they speaking of pitching and bullpen held bonds Bonilla and Van Slyke combined 12 for 63 190 average so the pitching really dominated that NLCS and then go on to sweep the the A's in four straight and you had the uh game-winning RBI in game four did you not Sacrifice yes. fly? Yeah, yeah, I did in the in the eighth inning. Um, we uh, 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 we got in a situation there in that game where Eric got hurt early diving for a ball, and Billy Hatcher got hit by a pitch. So so it was a little bit nerve wracking because because we frankly didn't want to we we did not want to continue that series. But uh, right. as I recall, you know there was a sense of urgency, right? I mean, absolutely. You didn't want the momentum as much as momentum as you had winning the first three games. They could easily swing, and and Hatcher leaves, who had an unbelievable World Series. Eric Davis has left, so there was a was there a sense of urgency in that dugout? There, there absolutely was, because uh, I think we knew that Eric was pretty badly hurt, and we assumed that Billy had broken his wrist. You know, yeah. So, so, so there was definitely a sense of urgency. Uh, it, it, it also uh, because we knew that as uh, I, I remember that year that it was very my um, our mindset always was listen we could play for a run in the sixth inning 
and we'll win this game, you know, because our bullpen was so dominant. Again, I just assumed this was, this was kind of my first, you know, crack at big league baseball. And, and, uh, I just thought, Oh, th- this is the way bullpens are constructed. You know, yeah. this is, this, this, this is how this works, you know, <laughs> I, 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 but, but, but yeah, we're like, yeah, listen, if we get a run, this is over. You know, these guys, we're not, we're going to win this thing. So there was definitely urgency. I just looked down this roster and I just laugh. Um, cause you can talk all you want about baseball, but there were so many characters on this team. Um, how about Sabo and O'Neill together? Did they? Yeah. They both had their quirks, right? Oh, listen, boy, did they ever! And so the the if any for anyone that was ever in that clubhouse in Riverfront Stadium, it was rectangular, and and you went through the opening and and uh, to your left there there were there were two lockers on the on on, on the end of the of the left side of that clubhouse, and that's where Paul and Chris were. And and they would sit down there in that locker, and they'd just be talking to each other in their own kind of world. And and you'd walk by, and and you'd, you'd hear these conversations. Like I walked by there one day, and Paul Paul didn't get any hits the night before, and and he and he used to call he used to call uh, save Spuds. He said Spuds, I stink, I can't hit. And then and, and then and then and and, and, and saves looked right back at me and said he said you know what Paul you're right you stink. And, 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 and and, and you like you just hear these guys talking to each other. You're like, what? What are these guys doing? But the, yeah, they were all like those two down there in that corner. You know, uh, everyone in the whole clubhouse would look down. They're like, what is going on with those guys? But they, I tell you what, they both had phenomenal senses of humor, um, but very dry. Those two, very dry. And uh, but it was always uh, it was always uh, fun to to watch those two interact. Those two were so hard on themselves. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. And Sabo was <laughs> was locked in. Did he used to sit and listen to Big Ten fight songs? So uh, yeah, listen. So so uh, I used to laugh when we 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 would we would uh, play you know day games on Sunday, and and uh, typically Sabes would get in there, and it, we 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 wouldn't take batting practice typically. So it's basically just show up. You know, I, I forget what time we played, but you know, if we weren't, we, we might take infield just to get loose. But, but you know, if we're playing, if we're playing a uh, a one o'clock game or a one thirty-five game, you want to get there an hour and a half, two hours beforehand, beforehand, so you could loosen up and get ready. Well, saves would be in there like at nine thirty in the morning, and full uniform, you know, with his with his spikes on, with a cup of coffee and his bat sitting in his locker and he had this, he had this, he had this, uh, tape of fight songs that he'd be listening to uh, the Vic, the Vic, the victors, of course, for those who don't know, that's, you know, John Philip Sousa, that's the Michigan fight song, but, but then he, all, all these famous fight songs and you might also catch them in there listening to Benny Goodman, you know, and, and, uh, trust me, this was not what we typically listened to in that clubhouse. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. You talk about those two, and we haven't even gotten to the Nasty Boys. There, there's so many stories yep. um, that are legendary, um, and so many things about Randy Myers, and you never knew what he was going to do on a daily basis. You never yep. know what was going to be in his locker, correct, or what he was going to bring. Oh, yeah. L- listen, so Randy, uh, you know, uh, I started to get a, a, a feel for Randy very early in spring training because because he brings in – some water, some dead water moccasins. We, we in Plant City, we had this little pond right out behind our yeah. clubhouse, and I don't know how, how he got, he, how he, how he killed these water moccasins, but he came, he threw, he threw them into the clubhouse, and 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 you're wondering what is going on here. But very early in that year, for some reason, I had to 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 give something to Randy. I had to take something over to his apartment, so I go over there. Now, Randy at the time, Randy was. He was pretty highly paid, you know. He was along for, far enough along in his career where he was making a lot of money, and, and he was driving this a '76 Cutlass, as I recall. And <laughs> that was my I first car, a Cutlass, Cutlass Supreme. Yeah. Anyways, wow. Yeah, yeah he, he's got this. He's '76 But but I go over to his to his apartment, and uh, it, it, it might have been a studio, but Randy was sleeping on. Have you ever seen those those floats? That the people have in pools, like with with a palm tree in the middle, like those. Li- that that was his bed. He, he was he slept like he was sleeping like on a float. 
And and <laughs> and I remember thinking, you know, he, again, he was he Randy must have been making about I don't know thirty times as much money as I was at that point in time, maybe twenty times. And I, and I remember I remember looking at him going, "Wow, like like you might want to buy a mattress, Randy," you know. But but uh, yeah, he was Randy was he was great, you know. He, he his locker, you know, you've heard about his locker. He had he had. Uh, nunchucks and these Death Star. He had stun guns. He had hand grenades that had been that had, they had taken the, the explosives out of. Um, I mean, they're they're you name it. If if uh, let, let me just say, uh, the, the, you wouldn't want to wander into that clubhouse, uh, yeah. you know, uh, not knowing someone in there. Oh, I can't imagine the authorities coming in there nowadays. No, all the restrictions no, like uh, can we get uh, this guy that has this locker please we're, we're listen, a little worried listen the ATF would have had a field day in that place so <laughs> didn't he stun Lou he stunned Lou yeah early in the year for some reason Randy had a stun gun on him he was like stunning some of the guys that work in the clubhouse and Lou must have made a crack about the about the stun gun you know the strength the strength of the stun gun or something so I'm sitting one day I'm sitting in my locker and and, and Lou comes walking out of his office and he Randy's locker was the first one in the in the clubhouse right on the left hand side Lou makes the turn to the right and, and Randy stinks up behind him and stuns him in the uh, right on the leg and and, and 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 Lou jumps about you know three feet off the ground hits the ground and 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 and, and Randy said, "Skip, I, I told you this thing was 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 you know strong, something like that, you know." And I was like, "What is going on here?" So, uh, in a ways, in a lot of ways, well, once a player, always a player. And Lou, I had that in him, uh, no doubt. Oh about yeah, it. he did. Um, yeah, absolutely. Dibble. Um, yeah. Those three together. I mean, you want to talk about a perfect bullpen? I mean, Lefty Charlton flame-throwing Dibble, Lefty Myers, who could just paint the outside corner like no one else. Um, but Dibble yeah. had his moments, did he not, as which you didn't know what to expect? No, listen, Rob, Rob he, he absolutely had his moments. You know, everyone asks me about those three guys, and, and they're like, hey, you know, are those guys for real or what? I'm like, a little bit. No, they're for real, all right. And 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 I said I said now Randy might be the craziest of the three of them, but but Norm and Rob are dangerous. Those two were were were, were like and and that's that's that and that that was not a that was not for show. That was that was all real and you know uh, everyone in the league was aware of it too. Yeah. So um, but the, but from a pitching perspective, Rob was the guy that you know. When we got when 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 there was traffic out there in you know on the base path, bases loaded when we needed strikeouts, that's when Lou went to Rob. So Rob was a guy coming in there cleaning up these situations. I'd, I'd like to go back and look at like the, the men that, that they left stranded that year, you know, because because typically it was Rob was the one coming in kind of doing the the the, the real heavy lifting. Not not to say that you know Randy and Norm were unbelievable, uh, but but but. Rob was even that much more, you know, dominant. So right, and I mean, yeah. particularly in the NLCS and, and the playoffs in general, nineteen ninety. I mean, he didn't give up a run and uh, NLCS four games, ten strikeouts in five innings. Um, right, and think about that. Yeah, he's he's striking out two guys every inning. You right. know, I mean, and like you said, it, yeah, winning baseball in the playoffs is a bullpen that can come in and strike guys out. And that's why it was it was a good matchup with the A's because they had a bit, bunch of big swingers in the middle of their lineup. And that, that's kind yep. of what Lou talked about. It's like, hey, well, I, I thought we had the advantage because we had the power pitchers and guys that could strike guys out, and they had the big looping swings. Yep, and and you know we we were sitting in, in our in our lounge preparing for to go to take out to take batting practice before the first game, and our our and, and Jimmy Stewart, who was a, just a wonderful man, who was our advance scout. Jimmy came in. And he said, guys, I just got off the phone with Mel Didier. And Mel Didier was, was the legendary Dodger scout who, you know, his claim, one of, among other things, the, the, the three, two slider that Gibson hit out off of, off of, uh, 
Dennis Eckersley in the in the '88 World Series, Mel Didier had said, "If he gets you three two, he's throwing you a backdoor slider," and and, and Gibson said that's what he was sitting on. But anyhow, uh, Jimmy said, "Listen, I just talked to Mel, and he said you can beat these guys with power, right-handed arms." He said, "And boys, guess what? That's what we've got." And about that time, Lou and Tony walked in the into that uh, lounge and said, "Absolutely, boys, we are going to win this series." And uh, and uh, you know, I'll never forget that because is I was kind of like a deer in the headlights. And when those guys walked in there, these are two guys that had won a lot of championships between Lou and Tony. Right. And when they said, "Hey, listen, we are going to win," uh, all of a sudden I was like, "All right, let's let's go," you know. But I again, because I was a little nervous sitting in there. Well, I mean, at the time, they were talking dynasty with the A's. They had won the World Series the year prior, um, and boy, they were they were just talking like this is this is going to end up one being one of the best teams ever. Um, so they had that swag going in, but man, you guys just silenced them. Which I I always love when you watch back walk watch back the the series, and we just re-aired the 1990 World Series recently. The looks on the faces of the A's in the dugout after each loss that they encountered. They're just like, what, what's going on? These guys are whipping our butt. Yeah, well, you know what? That was before interleague play. And, and again, we were pretty young. You look at, you, look at, you know, uh, Norm and Randy, they, or, or Norm and Rob, they had, they had a, a, a year in the big leagues, year and a half, something like that. The, the, we were we were kind of unknown commodities. I was a rookie, and, and well, everyone knew how good Lark was. But 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 when, back then, you didn't know a ton about the other league. We had spring training down in Florida, there in Arizona, and all of a sudden we roll out there and they're like, hey, wait a second, you know, they they they. I don't think they really knew what they were dealing with, especially, uh, you know, again, the, the bullpen speaks for itself, but also. We had a, like I said, that lineup of ours. We had a lot of team speed, and we could we could hit. There were, you know, we we had a good club. Oh, and situational hitting. I mean, no one was better than Larkin at situational hitting. He could, if you needed to hit the ball on the right side and move a run over, he could do that. He could hit for yep. power if you needed to. He could steal bases. He could hit for average. Um, and then, you know, we don't even talk about a guy like Billy Hatcher who. Yeah. Uh, was just terrific in the World Series. Um, all these complimentary players that you guys had, it was really, really a good roster. And Bob, Bob Quinn did a terrific job putting that club together. Yeah, uh, Bob really did. And, you know, Mariano Duncan had an awesome Yeah, Mariano Duncan, yeah. I mean, Duncan had a great year. So, yeah, Bob did a great job. And, and uh, again, you know, using using the metrics that, that are in the in the 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 the, the data uh, analysis they, that they use today, you go back and look at that team, and you you see it wasn't a fluke. That that this was uh, especially for the playoffs. We 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 would give we would have given anyone a good uh, a, a, I think a pretty competitive uh, playoff series. Yeah, you were, you know, you had guys that could make contact as well, which. Also in the playoffs plays well. Nowadays you got all these go for broke swings and sw yep. uh, um, swing play. You know, hitting for the home run and so many strikeouts in the game. I, I really wish would just go away and there would be more contact hitting and moving runners over. But the teams that do that though win in the playoffs. The ones that don't sit back and wait for the home run. Uh, I, and, and yeah, I think I think a lot of the a lot of the teams uh, today. The ones, the ones that are trying to craft a lineup to win the championship, and you know, uh, you know, in today's game, you know, you, you have a, a third of the teams that, that have a, a legitimate chance to win a championship. You know, uh, you know, just, just the way that everything's constructed. But those teams, they look at they look at the contact rates. I think pretty closely. Yeah. Strikeouts drive me crazy. Too many of them. I mean, it's good if you're, for sure. if uh, you know, the team you're rooting for is in the field, obviously. But um, I just wish there was more contact in the game. Maybe we'll get back to it. Who knows? Um, one thing here in 2020, uh, which has been such a trying year so far, uh, robbing you guys of a 30th anniversary. Because I, I imagine if we get back to playing baseball with no fans in the stands, they're not going to have a a reunion with no fan, you know, it'll be for the fans. Um, boy, that's a shame. Were you guys looking forward to maybe getting back together? 
Well, listen, it's it's always fun to 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 see uh, your teammates. Uh, you know, we're 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 in contact. You know, uh, a, 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 a lot of us. You know, uh, but uh, um, the guys you don't you do, you you don't see you don't uh, call or text on a regular basis. You're still you're still close with them as well. So it's 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 a it's so much fun to 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 see everyone live. And again, we're we're, we're not getting any younger, you know. So uh, we're we're getting to that stage in life where I think you uh, savor the opportunity uh, to 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 share some time with the guys. Well, I'm sure it'll be like old friends that you grew up with. If you guys got back together, you could just snap your fingers and pick up where you left off, right? Like you're sitting in the clubhouse. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. The last time we got together five years ago, uh, it, it was just like we 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 just got off the bus uh, that brought brought us home from from uh, the airport. You know, I mean, the the the, the we just just took up uh, where we left off, and uh, it, it's crazy how how uh, nothing really changed in twenty five years. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what is in the future for Hal Morse? You've been. Uh... Long-time MLB career, you you dabbled in the the scouting, the front office. Now you're working closely with players. You've got a a master's in business from Stanford. Biology, you could go that route. What what are the plans? Well, listen, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. So so hopefully, uh, for the foreseeable future, can can continue uh, doing this. I have I have a. a five-year-old and seven-year-old uh, daughters so uh i'm just enjoying watching them um you know grow up and uh again just just uh, uh starting to ease into the golden years so uh <laughs> <laughs> just listen just 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 uh in, in enjoying life to be honest well, it sounds like uh, you've got it all going on. It sounds like you're you're happy, and uh, man, we appreciate you joining us in this this look back at 1990. Uh, terrific insight, and uh, if you ever have broadcasting in your future, let us know because we need to up the IQ in that booth as well. Uh, you're too kind, Jim. Thanks. <laughs> I really enjoyed chatting. All right, that is Hal Morse, member of the 1990. World Championship Cincinnati Reds. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Jim Day Podcast. If you'd like to follow along, at Jim Day TV on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could uh, rate and review this podcast as well and spread the word, we would really appreciate it. Hope you're well or as well as can be expected, and we will talk to you on down the road here on the Jim Day Podcast. <laughs>